We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed people who wouldn't normally watch mls might actually watch because they have money on it for years when people used to ask me about what can be done to increase the popularity of mls the first thing i said was betting betting both legal and illegal is a huge part of the soccer culture around the world but beware because of the still relatively low salaries mls players make they could be more susceptible to corruption Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be uh, talking about how the legalization of sports betting may affect U.S. pro soccer. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment. We'll continue with our World Cup date segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mr. Mossy? I'm good. Another Brazil jersey today. Uh, I actually had brought a Sao Paulo jersey, which is a club team in Brazil, but it didn't fit me, which is disappointing because I'm actually in pretty good shape right now. I had a wedding in San Diego this past weekend, and to fit into a suit I wanted to wear, I went on something of a diet. So I'm actually, by my standards, in pretty good shape right now, but still it was not enough to fit into that old jersey. Now, when you say something of a diet, what does that entail? Well, I was too lazy to go through a proper diet over a long period of time. So I was like a boxer in the days leading up to a wedding trying to make weight for a big fight. I basically didn't eat a meal for like two or three straight days, <laughs> lost enough weight to squeeze into that suit. So th- that's what I mean by a diet. I think you look great, my friend. Wait, uh, what year is this Brazil jersey? What this are we is like, here? This is a Ronaldinho number 10, like mid-2000s. I'm not sure exactly. There are five stars, so it's definitely post-2002. Well, you, you, you look good in it. A quick apology off the top here. I know if you're listening to this right now, you will know, know and notice that this came out a little late. I, I was on the road, which meant we had to put back the uh, recording of this a couple of days. So we were uh, recording this on a Wednesday as opposed to the normal Monday that we do. We apologize for that. It happens every once in a while, given my schedule. And I'm running around right now promoting, obviously, the World Cup. And so we have a lot of things that are going on in New York, which sends me back and forth. So once again, apologies for that. All right, enough of that. You ready to go? Yep. Light this candle? All right, off we go. As always, we start our pod with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, indeed. It is time for the State of the Union. This is my take on the state of soccer in the U.S. This week, the Supreme Court struck down federal law prohibiting sports gambling, which could lead to all states legalizing sports betting. So what does this mean for a league like MLS that continues to look for ways to grow its fan base? Well, it means that people who wouldn't normally watch MLS might actually watch because they have money on it. For years, when people used to ask me about what can be done to increase the popularity of MLS, the first thing I said was betting. Betting, both legal and illegal, is a huge part of the soccer culture around the world. But beware, 
Because of the still relatively low salaries MLS players make, they could be more susceptible to corruption. When players can make two and three and four times their salary simply by fixing a match, it becomes harder to resist. And remember, MLS is still only 22 years old, and it's fragile. If it gets tainted by match fixing, there's no coming back. But if the league embraces gambling and polices it correctly, I think it could open it up to a whole new audience. MLS is a really hard league to bet on. But someone will figure that out, and they'll make some money. So will the states, the casinos, and the league, if they're smart. And you can bet on that. And that is my State of the Union for this week. All right, David Mossy. First off, have you ever placed a bet on a sporting event? Uh, no, I am not a gambler at all. I'm very humble about the randomness of sports. I don't even like making predictions on this podcast. I like talking key players, storylines, matchups, but I also know that it could all go out the window because of a deflection or a bad call, and then you look like an idiot. So I stay away from all of that. And I look forward to seeing people lose all their money betting on MLS because the randomness there is amplified. Wow. I'll say, no, no. So are you looking down on people that are betting? Do you look at it as a vice and do you, do you look down your nose at these people? Absolutely. I think they're the underbelly of society. <laughs> but uh, let me ask you about match fixing because yes. having played in Italy, you must be an expert on the subject. Oh, I get it. Yes. Uh, because uh, it's incredible history. Yes. Although Calciopoli came well after you, but uh, did you ever witness anything firsthand and how does that all work? Uh, I, have, I have a couple of, of sports betting type of stories. Everyone talked about match fixing on, on the field. The only on the field time that it ever even occurred to me was there was, there was a game where there, there was a moment where our captain uh, looked at me and I knew very, very clearly with the way that he looked at me, the time in the game, that this game was going to end tied. Both teams were taking a point. It was done. It was agreed. Uh, and it happened. then it happened on a corner kick. I was coming up for a corner kick thinking, all right, now I got a chance to win the game. And he said, that's it. And he made a sign, that's it, it's done. That's not necessarily match fixing, but there was an understanding between both teams that this was going to end uh, as a tie. Now, very easily you could explain that as, from a competitive standpoint, both teams were fine with taking that point. If you are so inclined, you could think about other things. But that, from an on-the-field perspective, was something that I, I do remember happening. And I'm not sure that's, that's fixing rather than just everybody agreeing uh, and maybe... That's the same thing. Uh, the, the other two things off the field was gambling by players was actually legal. They had this, uh, this form of gambling where you bet on the slate of games, every single game. And I remember in the bus and in the locker room, guys running around getting their final picks in. Now, the potential for corruption was mitigated because you had to get almost all of them right in order to win anything right now. So it, it, just because you maybe did something with your game, it wouldn't change the outcome. You were betting on a whole scale of games. Anyway, uh, that was the in, in Italy. I, I also was on um, trial over in England for uh, a team many, many years ago. And I will never forget seeing players on that team uh, run around beforehand putting in bets. None of this is, is necessarily legal. It's just to, to show you how maybe unlike over here when it comes to soccer, and oh, I know unlike there, and, and you were, we were talking earlier, even in some places like Brazil where it's not as prevalent, there's a lot of places around where it is part of the culture, both the fan culture and the actual player culture in that this is, this is what happens around the sport. Is that a good or a bad thing? The idea that betting is, is a big part of the culture? Yeah. Oh, I think it's, it, it's a positive thing. I mean, let's be honest. The NFL is by far the most popular league in this country, and a lot of that has to do with betting and, and 
suicide pools and and fantasy leagues and all of that stuff. So I think you're right. If they, if they can police this right and and they don't have any sort of match fixing issues, this uh, could be a, a major positive for MLS. I think we could see a real spike in in interest. Absolutely, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the NFL, I I don't give two craps about the NFL, uh, an NFL game. But if I have money on it, I give two and a half craps. Absolutely. It's something that I want to watch. And there's a lot of people like me. And so that's a good thing. MLS, and I mentioned it in my State of the Union, but just to elaborate, and, and you mentioned it too, if, if, you, if you ever, ever come across this unicorn uh, in the form of a man or woman who can consistently uh, and correctly predict MLS results, you should cozy up to this golden goose because, as we know, with this manufactured parody, it's next to impossible to pick, uh, even for people that have been in this game a long time. Now, somebody's going to figure it out eventually. What'll be interesting to me is if there are, and they're probably, MLS is, it's not that MLS isn't, there's not betting involved in MLS. There are places that you can do it and you can do it legally around the world. But what I always like are these prop bets for, you know, first throw-in or in the uh, the one always with the with the Super Bowl is how long the national anthem is going to go and all that sure. kind of stuff. I'd be interested to see what type of prop bets uh, there will be. But as I mentioned before, it, it, I, I think it can, if it's done correctly and policed, and you know MLS is going to be vigilant about this, it can be beneficial. Are we going to see a sports bet uh, across the front chest of, a, of an MLS team? Yeah, that I don't think that that's too far. That's too far away. Well, we see an MLS team in Vegas. Ooh, a lot of the leagues were reticent about going to Vegas. We know the Golden Knights, from an NHL perspective, are killing it right now on the ice and off the ice. So much so that I was actually in New York this week. My uh, my son is a huge Las Vegas Golden Knights fan. I went into the flagship store of the NHL in New York City, and I said I would like to buy some Golden Knights paraphernalia. They said, we are sold out. We don't have anything. No hats, no shirts, no sweatshirts. Now, that can be looked at as a good thing or a bad thing. A good thing that they're sold out and this is so popular, a bad thing. I'm in the flagship store. I should be able to get something from this team. But I couldn't get anything from the team. They are killing it right now in Vegas. I think eventually Vegas, from a sports perspective, will have teams of everything, including MLS team at some point. So bottom line, you're all for this. You think this is a... Positive. I am all for it, except for the caveat that I mentioned. You, you just have to be careful because what... When you say, what can they do to police the match fixing? I don't know. They just have to be on top of it. They have to have education. When, when we have these players that aren't making a lot, it's hard because I, I know it's going to be tempting. And people are going to say, well, if, if it hasn't happened already, and maybe it has happened already, uh, why does this change it? I just think when there when there is more attention and there's more money flowing into a sport, maybe ultimately that money will go to the players, and therefore we will be able to say, well, they're making more money now, and it's not it's not as they're not as ripe for corruption as maybe they uh, maybe they are now. Because as I said, the world does not need Major League Soccer for soccer to survive. Okay, that's very different when it comes to American football, when it comes to college basketball, when it comes to hockey. When it comes to baseball, when it comes to basketball, the world needs these leagues. They are leaders. MLS is not the leader when it comes to soccer. They don't need it. And if that taint happens, there's no coming back because the world will say, well, that's a corrupt league. And uh, MLS will go away. And maybe something will take its place. But uh, I just think they have to be very, very careful. And I remember talking to Commissioner Don Garber years ago about this. And this was one of his big fears about it 
Because he recognizes, as everybody does, this could be great. This could be a windfall. The amount of money that is spent and the amount of money that is spent on advertising when it comes to betting is phenomenal. And that all comes in. And if there are now people that are watching MLS that normally wouldn't because they're like me when I'm watching football, if I actually have money on it, it makes it that much more interesting. If that happens, that's great. I want that to happen. Yeah, it's funny. I never needed that rush. I mean... My philosophy is if, if you want to gamble, become a defense attorney. As uh, Richard Gere said in Primal Fear, why gamble with money when you can gamble with people's lives? Wow. Look at you throwing out the Primal Fear. By the way, you know where that movie was filmed? Soccer House is one of the sets in that movie, Primal Fear. Wow. Soccer House, which houses the United States Soccer Federation in Chicago. There you go. Ed Norton. Now, what a performance. Oh, what a performance. It was, it was wonderful. All right, so I'm of the opinion this, that this is good. This is going to be ultimately a good thing with a few reservations there. You are of the opinion that it's going to be a good thing, but you are not going to partake. Correct. I guarantee you that I am going to get you betting at some point on, this, uh, on uh, Major League Soccer. Now, if I was a player, I would gladly fix a game if you offered it me right. money. <laughs> you're, you're like that? No, 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 no. I, I don't think you're going to do it. Well, it's going to be fun to see how this not just impacts Major League Soccer, but how it impacts sports going forward. We know that New Jersey is already off to the races, as they, as they should be, and they, they, kind of got, they kind of steered this and were leading this for a long time. So uh, I will be interested to see the state of soccer and the landscape of soccer with legal sports betting involved. It's going to be uh, fun to see. I think it's going to be a good thing, ultimately. Moving on. Mossy makes the case. Yes, it's that time again when my good friend David Mossy makes the case. Mossy makes the case is upon us. All right, David, what do you have for the people this week? My case is that Barcelona have turned into what they once despised. <sighs> We're taping this on a Wednesday immediately following the Europa League final. Atletico Madrid defeated Marseille 3-0 with Antoine Griezmann playing a starring role. But it may well have been his last match for Atletico because he is reportedly on his way to Barcelona. There's a dispute over the price. His current contract has a 200 million euro buyout clause. That gets knocked down to 100 million on July 1st. So Barcelona obviously want to wait and pay that amount. Atletico, who are still trying to convince Griezmann to stay, they said plan B, if that fails, is they're going to try to prove that he already agreed terms with Barcelona before July 1st, so they should have to pay the 200 million. But even if this works out in Barcelona's favor and they get him for $100 million, which I do admit in this current market is actually a good price for Griezmann, it'll be their third €100 million Euro signing in less than 12 months. And if you add up what they paid for Dembele, Coutinho, and Griezmann, it'll be way more than they got for Neymar. And at a time when Iniesta, one of their great uh, homegrown stars, is leaving the club, it's making people reflect on the different direction they're going on here. Because not long ago, Barcelona used to ridicule Real Madrid for their Galactico approach, their penchant for big signings, their lack of utilization of the, of the youth system. Uh, the rivalry was framed as Cantera versus Cartera. Cantera means youth system in Spanish. Cartera means wallet. But those days are long gone. And it's not just the big signings. Anytime they need to plug a hole in the squad now, you need an extra midfielder, 35 million euros for Andre Gomes, 40 million euros for Paulinho. You need a backup striker, 30 million euros for Paco Alcácer, 35 million euros for Arda Turan. You need a right back, 20 million euros for Alex Vidal. He doesn't work out, 40 million euros for Nelson Semedo. This is PSG Man City-like spending the last few years. I know it has a lot of Barcelona fans shaking their heads. What do you make of it, Alexi? Uh, what's the uh, the Barcelona slogan uh, that they have? Más que un club. Which means? More than a club. This is what they have sold the world over the years, but certainly the, the global expansion of that brand has been sold on this. La Masia, right? Explain to the folks what that is. That is their fabled youth system. 
Yes. And it is fabled. And you hear people talk about this with a, with a sense of, of awe and fascination. As people travel the world to study their methods exactly, and what they do exactly. and all that. And what I hear you saying is that it's all a bunch of crap. Well, I don't know how you say crap in Spanish, but uh, that's what it's a bunch of. There's two things happening here. They're not producing the players they used to. The idea that they had some magic formula to pump out Xavi's and Iniesta's on a regular basis has been proven to be nonsense. But even the good players they are producing, they're not giving chances to, and so those players are leaving. The most dramatic example of the last few years is Thiago. You also had Mauro Icardi, Hector Bellerin, some guys you haven't heard of yet, but keep an eye on Jordi Mbola, who left from Monaco last, last year. People are saying he could be the next Mbappe. Or Sergio Gomez, who was just a star for Spain in the Under-17 World Cup. He left to, for Dortmund in January. These players aren't seeing a path to the first team anymore because Barcelona aren't about that anymore, bringing up players from the youth system. So they're leaving, and it's created this talent drain that I think is a major problem for them. But, I mean, this is the age-old nature versus nurture type of thing. If if La Masia is so good in terms of what they are doing, then they should be able to put it into the template and come out with... You don't have to, it doesn't, you don't have to have someone on the, uh, as, as good as Iniesta, but you have to have somebody that can come in and fill it and be able to play an approximation of what it is. But if you don't, then it's just a golden generation that you just hit the, the genetic jackpot in, in, in a timing perspective. If it, if it is truly development, and I don't blame Barcelona for doing that. They, they recognized that they had this incredible generation uh, that was built around this Fabergé egg of Messi, and they recognized that it might not come, come again. And that's, that's not necessarily uh, a, a bad thing. Everybody recognizes there's going to be times where it's just the stars align, and you're going to go up and down from a developmental standpoint. But the other thing is, is while we were always talking about Barcelona and talking about La Masia, we also were talking about Real Madrid, as you mentioned rightly, where they're going and buying Galacticos. But from a youth perspective, they also were populating teams all over the world. That they couldn't play on the first team is, is certainly problematic, but it's not as if they weren't producing talented players or that they didn't have a youth development system or anything like that. It's just that those players weren't able to break into ultimately what amounts to an 11, 12, 15 collection, uh, collection of players. I think this also is exasperated uh, and fueled by this, uh, it's not inflation, but just the incredible prices that are out there, the need for results immediately. It's an arms race, right? It, is, a, it is an arms race. And... Development takes time, and it is not sexy. And you have to rely on your fan bases. I mean, you're, you're appealing to their, their, better, their better self, saying, please hang with us as this player or this group of players develop. And in this day and age, people aren't going to do that. They're especially not going to do it for super clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona that have built their name on winning or at least being competitive in terms of the elite in the world every single year. Yeah, the famous stat, when they won their last Champions League title in 2011, the final against Manchester United, seven of the 11 starters were homegrown players. So we're a long way from that now. But the issue I have, too, is the, the mistake they're repeating is you're making big signings that are stepping on each other. I don't like spending all that money, but if you at least buy players that are all compatible and one guy succeeding doesn't detract from the other, but that's not what's happening here. You explain to me how if Antoine Griezmann goes there, 
Usman Dembele can ever play enough games next season to blossom and justify that price tag. So we're just writing him off, a guy they spent 100 million euros on who's one of the best young players in Europe. Okay, he didn't have a great first season, but he's done. Now we're going to bring in Griezmann. And if you bring in Griezmann, that eliminates any possibility of Coutinho playing in that front three. So he better be able to play in Iniesta's position, which a lot of people still have doubts about if that's really his role. But for better or for worse, that, that's what it's going to be. And then they, they signed this Brazilian kid who I love, Artur. He's also been dubbed a replacement for Iniesta. And they're being linked with Chris. Christian Eriksen as a replacement. How many replacements does Iniesta need? I mean, so, I mean, to me, they're just signing guys that are kind of stepping on each other, and one guy being there is going to detract from the other one. So, to me, it's an issue. It's Mossy, it's Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? And they are a global brand, and they have to do these things. They have to have big signings. They have to make a splash in order to compete with the attention of the global audience out there. This is this is what they have to. This is what they have to do, and they're not going to stop. They're going to they're keep doing it, and they're going to stockpile different players, or they'll move them on. Didn't work thank you very much you might have been good but you know timing wise or whatever it ends up being uh, they will move it on we'll have a whole new starting lineup. now last thing from Griezmann's perspective I know you're a big fan yeah and you feel like what he does in that Atletico system is so impressive that if you put him on like a Barcelona he would go to a different level as a player I know you're big on Mohamed Salah right now but could Griezmann be a guy that on the right team could be right there behind Messi and Ronaldo top three or four in the world absolutely that, that we're that we're talking about this attacking player who is the antithesis of what at least the general perception is of a Diego Simeone team and what this Atletico Madrid team has been is a credit to just how good he is because he's been able to do it in a system that it's probably not fair to say it stifles him but once again I would just like to see the shackles taken off and he has done an incredible job. And there's some that argue and we were talking about it today on air that maybe it's actually the perfect system for him. I, I just think that if you give him an opportunity to play with better players around him in a system that encourages people to risk and to go forward, he is going to blossom and he's going to become even, an even better player than we've already seen. So if you were him, you would want this move to Barcelona yes. and the time is right for it. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I, I recognize he's probably comfortable and, and everything is going. Yeah, the only flip side is he is the star, the focal point of Atletico with Barcelona, and I've seen this with Coutinho, you have to defer to Messi, and it can be a little bit awkward at times. It's it's hard for somebody else to really assert themselves, and he's also got Suarez there too. So be interesting to see what kind of role he played. So that's what he has to balance. But you know, we'll see. What well, this happens. is a question that that teams are facing all over the world. Uh, so it's not just the elite super clubs. MLS, as it continues to grow, and and not just MLS, but uh, professional leagues in North America recognize that having a developmental system and having an academy is. Well, what they say is it's vital for their future. Why is it vital for, your, for their future? Well, because the premise is we're going to develop talent that either is going to go on and star and win us games and sell tickets, or we're going to develop talent that others out from outside recognize is of quality, and we're going to sell them for a profit. But we all know that the game really matters. You, you're looking for one person ultimately to come through, either to be that guy that goes to the first team or that guy that, that, that you sell, and that money pays for everything. But the results of a developmental academy, when you really end up looking at it, especially for, for MLS teams, are, are really minimal. And you're spending a lot of money. And I'll bet, no, I bet, I know, that there are MLS owners that are looking at this saying, I am spending all of this money. And what, from a short-term perspective, it wouldn't make sense. Now, you can argue from a long-term perspective is that you're investing in your community, you're investing, obviously, in your product, and it is going to come good. But... 
it's very, very di difficult. And when you have multiple years where you're not graduating, matriculating these types of players, you're going to look at that ledger at the end and say, why am I spending all of this money? When I can go out and in one fell swoop, I can be strategic, I can get a player where I'm hedging my bets that is proven, that can come in and specifically address a weakness and a problem that I have. Why am I doing this, for, uh, doing this right now? They're going to go back and forth, and there'll be people that will argue on both sides. But uh, whether it's Barcelona or any, any other team, right now they're saying, is it worth it? I'm spending money either way, but maybe I'm better off just going out there and buying what I need as opposed to buying the seeds that are going to grow or maybe not grow ultimately. It's going to be a crazy summer. Well, I'll end on that note. <laughs> I hope so. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Yes, it's time for the Ask Alexi segment, that segment where we take the questions that uh, you have sent us through all the different social media platforms with the hashtag Ask Alexi. And my friend David Mossy honors you by reading a few of those questions on the State of the Union podcast. All right, what do the people want to know this week, David? All right, first up, at Ryan underscore camp. Will Wayne Rooney bring more eyes to MLS than Zlatan Ibrahimovic? Hmm. No, he will not. I recognize that, that he is a phenomenon or was a phenomenon. And certainly, if you look over the last 10, 15 years, in my estimation, not only the, but the only truly world-class player that England has had. Uh, having said that, I think that his reach, even though playing for a, an incredibly uh, a global brand like Manchester United, I think his reach is limited. I think Zlatan is more, um, because of the many teams that he played for, I think he's more cosmopolitan. I think he's more attractive to more groups out there in terms of whether it's through language, through culture, through all the different things, uh, through affiliation to uh, uh, multiple countries and multiple teams. So I think that Zlatan still moves the needle more than a Wayne Rooney. That's not a reason uh, that you shouldn't sign him. And I know my friend uh, Ben Olsen, the coach of DC United, this week has kind of pushed back on, I have the, some thoughts uh, on, on that, the hot the takes that have been out there regarding the possible, let's we say, and rumored signing of uh, Wayne Rooney for DC United. Can I get something off yes, my of chest? Yes, of course you can. When you watch these TMZ interviews, 99% of the time, the, the celebrity getting interviewed gives these curt, dismissive, get away from me answers. You actually stopped, had a proper chat with the guy, uh, I thought went through the pros and cons of signing Wayne Rooney, and then said in passing at the end, it doesn't move the needle for me. And for them to take that to Ben Olsen and make it seem like all you said was he's washed up, and then Olsen makes a snarky remark back, and now you're in a nasty feud with Ben Olsen. <laughs> and so to me, TMZ did wrong by you. I expect more journalistic integrity from TMZ. That's all I'm going <laughs> to well, say. Well, you're the one. Look, I, I, they've caught me at, the, at LAX all the time, and it, it's fine. It's always, it's always the, 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 the guys there, I know, and I know them all, they're very, very cool, actually, and they have no, no say as to what the, the head line is like like a lot of things but this is good i mean and if you're dc united you want relevancy you want people talking about you when was the last time we talked about dc united we're talking about dc united because of wayne rooney by the way we're talking about him whether they sign him or not because we don't even know if they're signing him and uh we're, i'm all good with uh, with ben olsen that's fine i love the fact that there's the back and forth i mean this is what this is what sports are about, and the, the major sports are, are, are about this, talking about potential moves, talking about beefs that people have with different people. But 
Ben Olsen, if Wayne Rooney comes to DC United, is going to have to get very used to talking about Wayne Rooney and talking to paparazzi and talking to, T, uh, to TMZ because that's what, well, it's not just what he brings. It's what they hope he brings. And you better hope he brings that off the field. On the field, you know, that's where the question is. And my good friend and colleague uh, over at ESPN, Taylor Twelman, talked about the fact that if this is the only move, then it's a problem. But if this is the start of bigger moves and longer and more moves from DC United, then that's great. But if this is if this is the only thing that happens, as I said before, I don't think it moves the needle. Is he washed up? It's, I mean, that's a ter- I, uh, certainly I didn't say that I didn't say that term, but it just doesn't move the needle for me. Next up at Javi eight one eight, Arsene Wenger for next U.S. Men's National Team head coach. <sighs> Why? <laughs> Why? I mean, uh, and, and not that. I mean, it's intriguing because of who he is and because of where he is at this moment. But I, I just, I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I'm really much more concerned with the GM position because I think that that's actually going to have more power and that person is going to ultimately dictate how we are going to play. And you can get the most high-profile coach in the world coming in, but if, if it's truly a GM position, that GM is going to dictate what's going on. So, but I just don't see it. I don't, it just doesn't, it, it, once again, it doesn't, it, it doesn't excite me. And it's not that he wouldn't do a good job, but once again, you got someone coming in that's going to have to get up to speed very, very early. One, someone that's coming in that doesn't, I would rather have Tata Martino, for example, uh, if we're looking at foreign management. I would rather have Roberto Martinez, uh, possibly. Um, but Arson, I just think, I, I just, yeah, I don't know. Does it, does it excite you? Nah, seems like a weird fit. I think he'll might take over France after the World Cup. That, that makes, makes some sense, sense to me. Last one at Wade Harder. What are your thoughts on the Ricketts family building a twenty thousand seat soccer stadium on Chicago's north side, rival to the fire or relocation of the fire? I like it because it lights a fire. Get it? It lights a fire under the fire, and they need a fire lit. They have become not just less relevant, but oftentimes irrelevant. Now, the signing of Bastian Schweinsteiger was good, and it kind of jolted us back to realization. The stadium situation, I'm not telling them anything to know, is not ideal. But this, if it ends up being a competitive type of situation, that's good. You want a competitor in your market that is going to get you to do more. And that this stadium situation is much better located. That's, that's a good thing. Does it end up being where it is a competitor, and it's not going to be a competitor from an MLS standpoint, it's going to be a competitor from a different league, uh, or does it become the new MLS location? Is there something that's done there? Regardless, this is a good thing. When people want to go into markets and they want to build soccer-specific stadiums, we're nuts if we're saying, oh, it's not good. No, it's good. People want to spend money on soccer. People want to be involved in the business of soccer. You thank the soccer gods that that is actually happening, that it is happening in a place like Chicago. Chicago is big enough and has enough depth and has enough soccer people out there to handle two different teams. This is, I'm not saying there's going to be two different teams, but if there is two different teams, this is good. This is going to make both of those teams better. And in, from, a, from a Chicago Fire standpoint, that is long-ruled Chicago, this is going to force them, if they're not part of it, to look at their business and to do some things. And to be quite honest, we don't have enough of that. We don't have enough pressure on owners and on front offices to get their you-know-what in order or 
get run out of town or get blown over by somebody else that's being competitive in their market. That is it. All right. Thank you for your questions. Uh, the Ask Alexi segment happens each and every week. And as I said, use that hashtag, Ask Alexi. Uh, get to us through Facebook or Twitter uh, or all the different platforms that we have. And who knows? Maybe you will be a lucky human being in that David Mossy sometime in the future on the State of the Union podcast will be reading one of your questions. All right. Moving on. World Cup Update. Yes, it's time for our World Cup date. We are less than a month away from the World Cup. It is fast approaching. I cannot wait. Quick note, we will finish up our group previews. We still have a couple of groups to go. We'll finish up next week. But this week, Mossy, we have some interesting stuff to talk about. What are we talking about? So teams released their rosters this week. Uh, they had to release a 35-man preliminary roster, and some countries did that. Others went ahead and released their final 23, and then some did something in between, 27, 28. So it kind of ran the gamut. But a few of the interesting talking points. Uh, let's start with Germany. No Mario Götze, which is not that big a surprise given the way the last, last four years have gone. But still, it's an amazing fall from grace to be the guy that scored the winning goal in the World Cup final and then four years later not get picked. But the other big story there is Manuel Neuer is in the squad, despite Neuer himself saying that if he didn't play a club match again this season, he probably shouldn't go to the World Cup. But Yogi Love perhaps doesn't feel the same way. Where do you stand on that? Would you feel comfortable taking Neuer to the World Cup, even though he hasn't played a match since September? Well, just uh, to go back to the Gotza thing, this is 2018. It's not 2014. However, when you look at somebody who has scored the winning goal in a World Cup like Iniesta, uh, it doesn't have to be a fall from grace. Uh, this is all on him. And he will, I think, many years from now, uh, regret it to a certain extent. I think he has enjoyed his his moment and his time, and he certainly deserves it. But this is a, this is a whole new World Cup, and there will be new stars, and the things that happened in the past will, will remain in the past. When it comes to Manuel Neuer, this is a really interesting thing. We are talking about one of the great goalkeepers of all time. We are talking about a goalkeeper who has changed the way we look at the position in the way that he plays it. We are talking about, at this point, still has to be arguably the, the best goalkeeper playing today. But we're also talking about goalkeeper hasn't played for what's, what's going to end up being almost a whole season. right? And so do you take him? Do you take him from a leadership perspective? Do you take him, because he is running around, he is training. We saw him actually jumping and, and, uh, and celebrating, when was it, last week? So he can put pressure on it. He can run around. I think if, if Germany really is this machine that has the ability to take, and we said this before, and I do believe it, three different quality teams to a World Cup and still compete. If that's the case, then nobody is irreplaceable, including Manuel Neuer. And they have quality goalkeepers. I don't think that Germany wins or loses this World Cup because of Manuel Neuer. But... It's hard, to, it's hard not to take him because of what he has done. And, and, and he hasn't been a bad guy or, or anything off the field or anything. Like he, just, he just got hurt. It's just one of those things that happened. But if I'm, if I'm Yogi Lowe, I'm saying the whole point of what we have done and this conveyor belt of talent that we have been able to assemble is because we are able to create depth and create competition and create quality. And so if there's anybody that I think would be justified saying, no, we're not taking one of the greatest goalkeepers ever to play. It's Germany. 
And, and he named four keepers in their preliminary squads. He's going to have to drop one. It's Neuer, Ter Stegen, Leno, and Trapp. So we'll see. And I think the X factor in this whole Neuer situation, I'll say something nice about Barthelon on this pod. Ter Stegen, to me, has blossomed into like one of the five or six best goalkeepers in the world. So they could definitely win the World Cup with him. It's not a tragedy if Neuer isn't there and they have to go to Ter Stegen. They'd still have one of the best keepers in the tournament. Now, another keeper uh, who was left out of his country squad was well, Joe hold on, Hart. Hold on, one more thing about Neuer. What's the press saying about Neuer, uh, what they want him to do? A lot of people think he should bow out because, like I said, he's been vocal uh, about honor, saying that he, honor, he, he, honor he shouldn't. Country, yeah, he shouldn't go to this World Cup. Kind of so if he feels that way, he should bow out. Yeah, it's not happening. Joe Hart <laughs> not included in the England squad, but the omission that bothered me there, you know, is Jaden Sancho, eighteen-year-old oh, yes. kid for Dortmund. I don't know. I just think last spot or two in that squad, you could have found a place for him. He's a player that could be an impact player. And there's a couple of guys in that squad that I don't think are going to be able to come on and change a game like a Danny Welbeck. Or, so uh, I don't know. Where do you lie on that? But, but well, you, using those last couple of squads, yeah. uh, spots in the squad on more of a game changer rather than just like a solid guy. You think that uh, Jaden Sancho playing in Germany actually hurt him? No, because if he was in England, he wouldn't be playing, period. So I think the, the, re- the reason he gave no, himself no, no, any no, chance was no, because no, he was in Germany. Just the, but. Just the you know, the internal perception and the nationalist type of, of, of feel. It's, well, he's playing somewhere else, and so he couldn't possibly be of quality. No. No, I, I don't think so. I, 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 human beings are strange, man. We are a strange species. Now let's uh, let's uh, switch gears to uh, Mexico. No Jonathan Gonzalez, which I'm sure you took great pleasure in I, I, seeing I, no, that kid I, get honestly, his comeuppance. I, I, when that whole thing came down, uh, as, as I had mentioned, I want people on the U.S. men's national team that want to be on the U.S. men's national team. And that he had a choice, wonderful for him, and I wished him luck at the time, and I wish him luck now. I hope, I hope in the future he is playing for Mexico, and I hope he stars for Mexico. To be honest, though, and, and this is something that has to be said, at least he actually had a team to be left off of. Okay, wow. and that he didn't make uh, the Mexico team was it surprising? I mean, he was always going to be on the cusp, and I think Juan Carlos Osorio talked about the fact that it was going to be difficult for him uh, to uh, to make it. Now, have they moved on from him, and they just wanted to do it to make an example of him? I don't, I don't think they would do that. He's still, I mean, he's still a quality player, and he's just going to get better. Uh, one Mexican player looks like he is headed to another World Cup is Rafa Marquez, who's like pushing 40 now. It's unbelievable. But everybody, I talked to all my Mexican friends, they all seem fine with it. So but it sounds yeah, like I he'll think, be there. I think he's revered both inside and outside of that team. And I, and I think Juan Carlos Osorio has a good relationship with him. And I think he looks at it as this guy's not going to cause me any problems. He knows why he's coming. And there's, there's going to be a point where I'm just going to need that badass type of dude that's been there and done that and either need him on the field or need him to to say something or do something in the moment off the field that is going to be valuable in terms of their run a few more miscellaneous things and this i would qualify as a fall from grace renato sanchez not on portugal's preliminary squad again not surprising given the last the way the way the last couple years have gone but still i mean this guy was starting matches at the euros maybe the best young player in the world bayern munich for like 40 million euros and now he doesn't even make their 35 man preliminary squad uh, argentina named a 35 man squad he threw all the strikers in there the icardi ziguains agueros dibala lautaro martinez so he's going to when they cut it down to 23 that's when he's going to have to make some tough choices. But for now, he threw everybody in there, and then he'll figure it out. I, I like I like teams that just name twenty three. I, like, I love your Brazil team. They said this is it. This is what we got. We're not fooling anybody. Here's twenty three, and boom, they just throw their cards right on the table. I love that. That's that to me is big, I, I, and I, I love when teams do that. Although, from a from, a, uh, from let's get down to Brazil just for yeah. a second. From a right back position, for me, the, the team kind of 
sets itself up. But from a right-back position right now, with the injured Danny Alves, what happens here? Uh, major issue. Uh, and by the way, I don't even love Danny Alves. The dirty little secret is he's never played as well for Brazil as he does at club level. But the issue is uh, what's behind them. Uh, so the two right-backs he took are Danilo and Fogner, neither of which are great options. Danilo, I would prefer he starts. He's at least serviceable. He has pedigree. He played for Real Madrid, Manchester City. So I think if you put him in there, he wouldn't be scared. Fogner, I can't believe, is in this squad. Chichi just has some mental block with him. He coached him with Corinthians. He's a guy who plays in the Brazilian league who's a nice player, but he's not national team caliber. And if he has to start a game in this World Cup, it's a major problem. The Danny Alves thing was a real poke in the ass because now there's like a legitimate, in what's otherwise a rock-solid squad, there's now a legitimate weak link in that starting lineup, a position where you're hoping for a guy to at best be serviceable, and that's not what you want going into a World yeah, Cup. but, I mean, okay. You, there are other teams that would say we should, we should have those types of problems. You have one problem Fair enough. which is your which is your right back uh, one other thought on brazil which i haven't seen mentioned anywhere but this was a triumphant day for Shakhtar donetsk because there were five players in the squad uh who are either current or former Shakhtar players you had fred and tyson who are there now though fred is like a foot and a half with manchester united it sounds like he's gonna go there and then you have douglas costa william and fernandinho and you know the the whole backstory here uh, Shakhtar had this long time manager Mircea Lucescu who's Romanian who captained Romania in the 1970 World Cup played against the great Brazil team swapped jerseys with Pele at the final whistle and developed this love affair with Brazilian soccer he said if he ever coached a team he was going to sign as many Brazilians as possible and he did just that Shakhtar have signed like 30 Brazilians over the last 15-20 years it's been crazy and until recently there was still this stigma around going there like really you want to go to Ukraine and play for Shakhtar don't you want to go for a but people are realizing it's not that bad a deal you get to play in the Champions League every season you get some nice visibility you get to parlay that into bigger moves. Uh, like I said, Douglas Costa, William Fernandinho, Fred's going to be the latest. Alex Teixeira could have done that, but he inexplicably went to China. And you get picked for the national team and get to go to World Cups. It's not like a death knell for your international career. So Shakhtar all of a sudden is, is, is looking like a good destination here for Brazilian players, I think. Well, uh, <laughs> if and, and by the way, there's like 15 of them in the squad. So, yeah, you have to live in Donetsk, which I'm sure is terrible. But at least you have like 15 of your countrymen to hang out with and just have barbecues every day and do whatever they do. So, well, as these as these rosters are, are put out, I think back to the times when when I was in this position and um, I can't remember who it was, but I saw a, a video. I think it was the, one of the Brazilian goalkeepers there. The, the family was with the family when the announcement happened. Uh, was it a Brazilian? Anyway. Do you know what it is? Uh, the video of the last couple of days? Yes, last couple of days. It's actually Fogner, and a lot of people were tweeting that at me, oh, trying to make me feel guilty like, for criticizing his selection. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's, it's nice that he had this moment. He has no business being in the squad. So All right, well, I, I wish the, they the read my tweets like, during the The, the fact that you don't like him uh, aside, <laughs> I thought it was a wonderful moment because it shows how much, it, and it's obvious that it means something to these players. It means a lot to these players. It means an opportunity, and it can change their life. I'm, I'm living proof that it can change your life. And I think back of the moment when the final 23, at that point it was 22, uh, a 22-man roster, I remember exactly where we were. I remember exactly how it happened. It was a, a brutal scene, but it was also the best, one of the best moments of my life to finally know that you were on a World Cup team. And we had been working years to that. And, but then also to see guys being pulled aside and uh, being told that, that this part of that adventure and that dream is done. Uh, that's the brutal part. And you feel bad for these guys that you train day in and day out with, but you get over that real quick and you say, I have an opportunity here. I'm going, and I'm going to the World Cup. And it's, and it's, 
it's just the first step of a process, but it's an incredible moment to know that you're going to have that opportunity to represent your country on this platform in this tournament that you've grown up watching and that you've seen and that you get to now live the spotlight and to and to experience what a World Cup is. And it, before it used to happen face-to-face uh, or it used to happen over the phone, sometimes it happens over text or over fax or anything like that. But regardless, when you finally get that confirmation that everything that you've been working for is, is justified, uh, there's nothing like it. And then you go on and hope you do, do some things when you, when you finally get there. They will cut down their rosters here in the next couple of weeks to get to that final 23. So they're not out of the woods yet for a lot of these teams that are naming their preliminary rosters. Uh, and every team's now in, in this day, day and age of social media is putting, out different, putting it out different ways. And England had a really cool video in the way that they announced it. Everybody's got to be uh, cool and do it uh, different ways. So look for more of those going forward in terms of how teams announce their uh, rosters and certainly when it gets to the date when they have to have their 23-man roster, and then we'll be off to the races. All right, that is the end of our World Cup date. Moving on. The back three. All right, we're coming to the end here. As always, we finish up our pod with the back three, some of the biggest stories and games and moments. Mossy, what do we got? All right, first up, FA Cup final this Saturday. It's live on Fox. Yeah, it is. Chelsea against Manchester United, two clubs. Uh, This is their last shot at silverware this season. Mourinho, obviously, against his former club. What are your overall thoughts heading into this matchup? Well, remember a couple of weeks ago when Chelsea had that, that, that sliver of hope, that potential for finishing top four and uh, resurrecting the tarnished image of what Chelsea was. And then they stepped on the field. And now they still have the opportunity to finish up this era of Conti uh, with a trophy. Because he has one foot out the door. All right. And he is as lame duck as as they come right now. Do his players care? They're not doing it for him. Does he care? I, I... I, I think he would like to at least put an exclamation point at the end of this time. But ultimately, I think his time is going to be looked at, as, as manager of Chelsea, is going to be looked at as, it was okay. And it didn't end uh, in a way that, that he or others would, would want. And by his, by his own making, I think, he has not helped himself in, the terms of, in terms of the way that he has acted. And I think all along, even when it was going well, I think that there was a feeling that he had one foot out the door and that he had not settled in. So who, so who needs this more? Still saying all that, Mourinho needs this more. Jose Mourinho is about winning. It's not about how he wins. It's about winning. He is not a romantic. He's a pragmatist. We all understand that. Some of the most interesting things about Mourinho teams are Mourinho because of the larger-than-life personality that he has. And that he has undoubtedly improved Manchester United, maybe not in the way that people want and certainly not to the level of what Manchester United has been, you, you got to at least respect the fact that Manchester United has improved, so much so that they are finishing second, and yes, they have the opportunity to win a trophy. But you're not going to, as I said before, get the benefit of the doubt. If you're not going to play in a style and in a way that the majority of people find attractive and believe is attacking, then you better win. And you better have that moment so we can say, all right, it wasn't pretty, 
But ultimately, I get that in-your-face moment where I get to raise a trophy. And I say, I, I mean, a fan of that team and obviously the, the players too. So I think he needs it more. Not that it, if he doesn't win, he's going to get fired or anything like that. But he needs a touchstone. He needs something to point to to say, hey, I know you don't like me. I know you might not like the way that I coach, the way that I act, the way that my teams play. But the reason you hired me is to win trophies. Here you go. Boom. Put it on the table and walk out. We'll see you next year. I feel like I'm increasingly on an island on this, but I'm an Antonio Conte defender. I, I do think the relationship with management has gotten so toxic that he probably needs to go. But but I, I do think he's an excellent manager. If you want to go over the resume, when he took over Juventus in 2011, they had finished seventh in Serie A the season before. He won the league unbeaten the next season. He won three straight Serie A titles there, got them going on the run they're on now. Then he takes over Italy. Euro 2016, that was the least talented Italian squad I can ever remember at a major tournament. He beat Spain and Belgium and beat him good too, like played him off the park, went out to Germany on penalties. The next coach with those same players didn't qualify for the World Cup. Then he takes over Chelsea, go to finish 10th the season before, wins the league with 93 points his first season. So don't tell me this guy can't coach, he can't make players better, he can't get the most out of his teams. But like you said, something happened late last season Mm -hmm. that made it where from the start of the summer on, there was this bad vibe, this tension. They didn't give him a contract extension. You know, we had Chelsea in the Community Shield against Arsenal. And in the pregame show that day, this is before Ball had even been kicked this season, we were having chats about him getting fired. This is a coach who had just won the Premier League. So to me, he was a lame duck this whole season. And that negativity affected Chelsea. I think there was always sort of a dark cloud around that team this season uh, that I think. And as far as the transfer market, yes, they spent a lot of money, but they were all over the place. And some of the moves were on him. Some of them were on management. But the bottom line is they just made weird signings. They were linked with bizarre players, both in the summer and the winter. They were scrambling on deadline day to get stuff done at the last minute. That's not a formula for success. So to me, this was just a whole chaotic season with Chelsea, and he got kind of swept up in it. And yes, he probably needs to go, but but make no mistake, a very good manager is walking out the door. He'll land on his feet, and I want to see who they bring in that's going to be a better coach than he is. Who's, who's arguing that he's not a good manager? Are there people that are arguing that? Well, no, but I, I think his reputation has taken a hit this season. Yeah. I, I, I still think it's worth pointing out. This is a, a very good manager that just had a, a season to he's forget. He's going to be just fine. Don't cry for Antonio Conte. He's going to be just fine. All right, no, what's I'm up? not losing my hair. What else? That. What else? Next up, the Europa League final, which uh, we covered today. Atletico Madrid 3-0 over Marseille. Uh, you uh, called the ball game alongside uh, Keith Costigan. What were your impressions of the match? My impressions were it went exactly as Diego Simeone would have wanted. And it lived up to what Diego Simeone and Atletico Madrid have talked about. It, it, it fit their personality and their, their identity perfectly in that they didn't have possession. They bend, but they don't break in that uh, Marseille could have been up one nothing very easily in the first 15 minutes and it would completely change the game. But uh, Oblak is, is very, very good. And that whole team is very, very good. So I thought that they were going to be a little bit more attacking and a little bit more expansive. And shame on me, because that's, that's not who they are, and that's not who they claim to be or, or at this point even, even want to be. And they have incredible individual talent in Griezmann. And what was impressive to me is that the, the patience and just waiting and waiting until that moment. And when that moment came in the form of a mistake in the back in a very, very dangerous and risky position... They gobbled it up, and they said, thank you very much, and boom, in the back of the net. And now you're down, and you're not just down. You're down to a team that has no problem giving you the ball and defending. And Marseille had nothing. And coming into this game, 
the favorites were still Atletico Madrid. They have, they have more talent. They have more experience. And that was the team, I think, that everybody agreed uh, was going to win it, if you had to put all of your money on it right now. But ultimately, they came out, and they, and they did that job. And congratulations to them. And I know I did the game, and we talked a lot about, is it, is it tainted? Is it, does it, is it less of an accomplishment because of the way in which they did it? Not to them. They don't care. They're not there to impress us or anybody. The fan base obviously doesn't care. They've, they've cultivated this image, and they've also talked about how it's representative of who they, of who they are. And at times we, are, we maybe are a little unfair because it's not as if you can't watch Atletico Madrid play. I mean, they won 3 nothing tonight, and they won a game in which one of the great attacking players in the world scored two goals. There is, there, that, there is excitement, but... To ask people on a consistent basis to be enamored and to love and to find joy uh, and find entertainment in a system that is designed to just squash you and to be very, very defensive and to absorb pressure, that's not what people want today. But ultimately, and we were talking about Jose Mourinho, if it is successful and at the end you have that confetti coming down and that music playing and you have that money shot of holding up a trophy, you will be forgiven a lot. Yeah, being down 1-0 to Atletico is almost like being down 3-0 yep. to somebody yep. else. Uh, Marseille needed that first goal, and they should have gotten it with Germain. He skied that chance. And then, uh, obviously, the big blow losing Payet in the first half. We'll see what happens with his World Cup uh, chances. But, you know, the interesting thing with Marseille, they're in fourth place in Ligue 1 going into the last round. They're one point out of third, and only the top three get in Champions League. So they sort of had two cracks at it this week, and they let one go by the wayside. And now we'll see what happens in the league in the last round. But, yeah, I mean, Atletico, you know, it's not always pretty, but certainly worthy winners today. Uh, good performance overall. Once they got ahead, then I thought they were, they were the better team from that point forward. So, uh, All right, one more them. thing, right? We got another one? Yeah, and, and this one more thing is my second big Barcelona rant <gasps> of the pod. Oh, so boy. Look out. Barcelona were two games away from completing the first unbeaten La Liga campaign in 86 years, but they lost 5-4 away to Levante this past weekend, so they will not go unbeaten. Now, the interesting thing here is Lionel Messi did not play in this match. And do you know why he did not play? Why? Because Barcelona scheduled a friendly today in South Africa. Now, it's for a good cause. It's, uh, I believe it's Nelson Mandela's uh, 100th birthday. Fair enough. But they left Messi out of a league game because he was contractually obligated to play in this friendly and they felt like that would be too much to play in both games. And they prioritized the friendly over the league game and ended up losing their unbeaten record, a chance at the first unbeaten season in 86 years as a result. So fans, as you might expect, are uh, very angry, and they're getting criticized in the press for not having their priorities straight. So what do you make of all that? You have the opportunity. Uh, for a team <laughs> that is built on doing things, doing historic things. You have the opportunity to do something historic. In and of itself, it, it shows how incredible and important Messi is, Messi is to this team. You think that there's a conspiracy? There, that, although there's a little bit of a debate on Twitter about this. They lost 5-4. Right. So some people are saying, wait a minute, they scored four goals. Messi doesn't play center back. The problem was they conceded five. So was it really about Messi not being there? And then others are saying, yeah, but teams play Barcelona completely differently when they know Messi's not there. They attack more. So where do you sit on that? Yeah, I mean, they five nothing <laughs> that's why that's why you have Messi on the field I think it's disappointing I honestly because I would have liked to have seen them at least gone for it and when you don't have Messi on the field you're not going for it and it's just it, it's too bad because long after this friendly is played and forgotten 
<laughs> they won today, by the way. So kudos oh, to them. They, well they beat some South African club. The 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 potential of an undefeated season w- would have lasted, you know, for the next hundred years, maybe. And yeah. that's 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 not something to even for a team like Barcelona. It was strange. If you are Mastoon Club, right? Mastoon Club. Yeah, Mastoon Club. Mastoon Club. Well then this should be something that should pique your interest. And it would be something that I would think a, some, a club that believes that they are more than a club, uh, they would prioritize and, and give, uh, give it the attention and the respect that it deserves. Uh, they are unbeaten this season against South African opposition. So, um, <laughs> one note on this game, Coutinho had officially a hat trick, but one of his shots might have grazed off Suarez. So I know nobody else in the world cares about this, but I'm like refreshing the internet every day to see who they're going to credit that goal to because I want Coutinho to get his first Barcelona hat trick, but we'll see how that goes. That's but the, That's the stat, man. The bottom you. line is they suffer a 5-4 defeat to Levante. So now if Real Madrid win the Champions League, there's really not much debate. That unbeaten thing was, was what they were clinging to to say, no, we did something extra special this season too. And so there you have it. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, we have come to the end of our podcast, and at the end of each and every podcast, I give you my one big thing from today's podcast. We talked a lot about betting and and gambling and if this Supreme Court ruling is going to change what's going on when it comes to to soccer, and I think that's something we're going to talk about going forward. But we also talked about Wayne Rooney and the potential of Wayne Rooney coming to D.C. United and Major League Soccer, and is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? First off, In general, I think it's wonderful that someone like Wayne Rooney, an iconic name, an undeniable world-class player, and certainly has been a world-class player, that we're even having a conversation as to whether this is good or not. I think it shows how far we've come. I think a lot of it has to do with the new MLS, and certainly when you look at a team like Atlanta and what they have done. What people have wanted in the past might not exist as much going forward. And sometimes we don't give the American soccer public uh, uh, enough credit. And yes, signing big names is the quickest way to become relevant. And it continues to be the quickest way. But it's, it's not the only way. And I love the fact that soccer in the United States is changing, the mentality of what is good soccer, what is a good soccer team, and what is good for soccer teams continues to change. As I said before, for me individually, he does not move the needle. Wayne Rooney is not a David Beckham, obviously. He's not a Zlatan, as we mentioned. I don't even think from a playing perspective that he is a a David Villa. And especially when it comes to the price tag that's being talked about here. And maybe we're the only people in the world that that puts so much attention on the price of a player because we value this money that people are willing to spend on players when it comes to soccer because for years there hasn't been a lot of people that wanted to spend money. And so when we see a team like DC United rumored to be spending in the whatever $16 million or whatever it ends up being range, we say, yeah, but could that money be better spent? We love to spend other people's money in, in, in all walks of life. We love to tell people how to run their business and how to spend their money. That this is happening also at a moment when DC United is opening up their brand new stadium is no coincidence, and they need to do something to be relevant. We talk about relevancy all the time and how important it is for teams and for leagues and the battle that, the, that soccer, that Major League Soccer, that teams, that these brands have to become relevant in their market, uh, they become relevant from a United States perspective, and to become relevant globally. 
DC United has not done a lot. They have kept their powder dry, if you will. But if this is them firing away, as we said before, I hope it's not their only shot. But if they attach their wagon here to Wayne Rooney in terms of opening up their stadium, but more importantly, becoming the DC United of old, where they are from a consistent basis, they are relevant to what they are doing on the field because you're seeing an exciting and a winning brand of soccer, and off the field, the brand is resonating through, uh, through DC. He's either going to pull them forward into the MLS 3.0 version or whatever we are, or he might hold them back. I hope, if this actually happens, that it is part of a a rebirth of what DC United is, one of the originals, and a team that both on and off the field people looked to. I hope that this is just a start, but remains to be seen. Remains to be seen whether this is just a start or even if this is going to happen. We could be back here next week talking about, yeah, that Wayne Rooney thing, did, well, not so much. We've moved on. But this is fun that we're talking about these big names, that we're talking about, even, are these big names good for what we're doing? Because not too long ago, it would have been a no-brainer to sign Wayne Rooney. That's not the case anymore. And that's good, because that, that signifies progress. That signifies progress on the field, and it signifies progress of how we think about the game on and off the field. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, apologies for this coming out late. It could not be avoided. You can get to us so many different ways. But if you are someone who likes Twitter, you can hook up with Mossy. What's your Twitter handle again? At Statman Mossy. At Statman Mossy. You can find me on Twitter, at Alexi Lawless. You can find us on Facebook, whether it's our personal Facebook pages, whether it is the Fox Facebook page. If you're going to hit us up with a question, a comment, a concern, a criticism uh, about what we said, what we look like, what we do, make sure you include that Ask Alexi hashtag because uh, we want to make sure that we have that so we can find them. And if you do, who knows? We maybe will uh, read some of those uh, comments on air in our different segments. Until next week, thank you so much for watching the State of the Union podcast. Size the day.